I want you to picture yourself surrounded by family. It uh, might be a big reunion, maybe a holiday, Father's Day. Eventually, one of those people around the table is going to experience the death of every other person there. Why do I say that? Well, according to the latest statistics, the death rate hovers right around 100%. (laughs) So you look around that table and you realize that everyone there is going to deal with grief, whether they like it or not. And the question is not if you will grieve, but when and how will you deal with it? With that harsh reality in mind, you can thank me. Happy Father's Day. I want to give you the promise of Scripture intended to soothe our grief. We're in a series through 1 Thessalonians, this uh, letter in our New Testament written by the Apostle Paul to encourage uh, this group of new Christians in the city of Thessalonica. Paul had taught them uh, about the second coming of Christ and a number of other things, and then he got chased out of town by an angry mob. And after he left, uh, this young church of new believers got a bit confused. And part of this letter is aimed at correcting their misconceptions that they had. And uh, for example, they were so excited about the return of Jesus that uh, some of them quit their jobs. And Paul had to straighten that out, as we saw last week. And, And then when some of their family and friends died, it left the rest of them overcome with grief and confusion. As they're wondering, well, is my mother going to miss out on when Christ returns now that she's gone? Is my brother not going to experience the second coming now that he's died? So Paul writes this as we pick up our study, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So he doesn't want them to be ignorant, he said. Some translations. The ignorance of spiritual truth is bad. It leads to a lack of comfort and joy and hope. And knowing and believing the truth of God brings comfort, joy, and hope. Now please notice that the Bible does not present grief as an enemy. The Bible calls death an enemy. It's the enemy. Death is repulsive. Death tears apart relationships. Death destroys the normalcy of life. Death rips open a wound that takes a long time to heal. So if your faith is in Jesus, please don't get the idea that you're supposed to pretend death is no big deal. I, I say that because I, I've been through that. I, there was a, uh, about a dozen years ago, a, a lovely uh, uh, woman who uh, was a beloved teacher at a Christian school died suddenly, unexpectedly, tragically. Her father was a pastor. I went to the funeral, and, and he, he basically told people not to grieve. And so you had room full of, of people who wanted to grieve, and, and the father told them not to grieve. That's unchristian in a way, unchristian. Grief is not sinful. It's not a lack of faith to cry and to mourn. See, grief is not only natural, it's necessary for a time. If Jesus could cry at the grave of his friend Lazarus, knowing that in a moment he would raise Lazarus from the dead, we can also cry and grieve. Now, uh, for the Christian, grief is not eliminated. It's transformed. In Christ, death does not have the last word. There's a Savior who brings victory over sin and death. So when you're in Christ, your grief is changed from hopeless to hopeful. The promise of Jesus rescues you from constant overwhelming sorrow, rescues you from a wound that never seems to heal. 
this is the spiritual truth that Paul is teaching in uh, verse 13. Uh, that we don't have to grieve like those who don't have hope. But we can grieve. Uh, a program I've been familiar with for many years is Grief Share. In fact, we have Grief Share here at the worship place. And uh, facilitators uh, who have experienced loss help others work through their, the grieving process. Uh, I just want to share with you uh, stories of three people I know who uh, have gone through grief share and what they've experienced. i just uh, give you a little indication. I've had their permission to share these things. When Brian was 10 years old, his father died. And although Brian accepted Christ as his savior, he says this, I kept my distance and ran from God for the next 25 years, not wanting to be close to the one I felt took my dad away. Money and things took the place of God and put a band-aid over the real pain I held deep inside. At age 35, I had everything this world could offer, but hit rock bottom, failing my savior, my wife, and my kids. I surrendered everything to God, and he has led me on a path so amazing, there's no doubt that he's a loving and caring God who never left me, even when I did nothing to deserve his love. For Megan, it was the death of her mother. A rare form of cancer took her life, and Megan says this, When I received the diagnosis, I felt like my world came crashing down. I had a husband and two beautiful children, but I constantly asked, how am I going to live in a world without my mom, my best friend and confidant? Mom put her faith in the Lord and was ready to be with him. Her regret was not raising me in the church, and I had a huge void in my life that deepened even more when she died. For her birthday that year, I decided to start going to church, and I'm leaning, learning to let God fill the void I feel to be the center of my life as well as my children's. And then Mark counted each day, he said, since his father's death, and a year and a half, half later, Mark says, I was becoming so angry and sad I couldn't concentrate on anything I was doing. I was filling my life with things just to feel something because I was so numb. I had no desire to spend time with my family because they were a constant reminder of what I'd lost. I was falling further into a darkness that scared me, but I didn't know what to do. But coming to this church and acquiring a stronger understanding of Christ, I found peace, joy, and comfort in the truth. I believe God places challenges in our lives so that we're reminded to place our faith in him alone. I have genuinely given myself to God, and without doing so, I would probably not be here today. Now I'll come back to those stories at the end, but first I want us to see from 1 Thessalonians 4 how the truth of Christ's return soothes our grief. Uh, did, did you know, by the way, that about one verse out of every 30 verses in the New Testament is about the second coming of Christ? One out of 30. Clearly, this is truth God wants us to know. And it is this truth that, is a, that he uses to soothe our grief. In fact, this passage that we're going to study this morning has two key promises that rescue us from overwhelming sorrow. Two key promises about the, the coming of Christ. So what are these two promises? Well, first of all, that there is a resurrection for those who died in Christ. Verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So to the question are, where are the believing dead? Where are those who have died after putting their trust in Christ? Well, they're with Jesus. They're with Jesus. Every believer who dies is immediately in the presence of the Lord. We put the body in the ground, but the soul is with him. And countless Numbers of men, women, young people, children who have already died believing in Christ are with him right now. And when Christ returns, as he promised he would, uh, those souls will return with him. See, death is such a temporary state that Paul calls it sleep. 
And because he uses that word, some think that in death the soul is in a state of unconsciousness. But sleep is simply a metaphor for death. I like how theologian John Stott put it. He said, because a human corpse lies in the grave as if it were resting, it is appropriate to call death sleep. Cemeteries are dormitories of the dead. Now that last one sounds like a cheap horror movie, doesn't it? Uh, but, <laughs> but, I, but I like that. I like that. It sounds, uh, it's an accurate description of death for the believer. As 2 Corinthians 5, 8 teaches, absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. Bodies remain, but our souls are immediately with the Lord for those whose trust is in Jesus. Now notice it does say in this verse that Jesus died. That Jesus died. The fact that Jesus endured the full horror of death on the cross is the bedrock of our faith. Bearing our sins, his physical life was sacrificed on the cross. Three days later, he defeated sin and death by his glorious resurrection. That's the core of the gospel, the good news. And Paul's point here is that because of Jesus' very real death, death for the Christian has been transformed to sleep. For every person who dies trusting Christ, their bodies are left to disintegrate, but their souls are immediately in the presence of the Lord. And at his return, Jesus will bring these souls with him. Now, why are those who've already died and been with Jesus returning with him? What's the purpose? Well, that's the next verse. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the souls of the believing dead are returning with Christ to experience resurrection. Paul encourages the church that their dear, dead loved ones aren't going to miss anything. That's what they were worried about. In fact, Christ is going to deal with their dead loved ones before he does anything with the living. Many of you have parents, spouse, siblings, children, friends who have gone before. And maybe you're not sure of their spiritual status of when they died. You may be wondering if they're with the Lord. God will not fail. Everyone who has trusted Christ, God will bring with Jesus. No matter how imperfect their faith, everyone who believes is saved. At God's call, they will be raised and changed into a new heavenly body. The soul that comes with Jesus and the resurrected body will be reunited in the blink of an eye. And Paul describes here quite a celebration a victorious event. There's trumpets and loud commands and angel voices and the triumphal arrival of King Jesus. Christ will return physically, visibly, dramatically, and he won't be alone. The souls of believers who have died will come with Jesus when he returns, and that's when the soul and body will be reunited. The millions upon millions of those who have died will be resurrected and transformed first, Paul says. Our fellow believers who have been with the Lord will now experience the resurrection of their bodies. They've been with Jesus all these years, blissfully happy. But despite all the, the unhindered joy, there's something that's not yet complete. They've been with the Lord, but they don't yet have a resurrection body. Now, my dad died in March 2005, and immediately he was with the Lord. He is conscious, he's alive, as are all believers who have died, absent from the body, present with the Lord. What they don't have is a glorified body. 
We call this the intermediate state. That's the transitional period between the day of death and the day of the final resurrection. You might wonder, well, John, are are you saying my loved one is just a ghost-like vapor, an invisible spirit? Well, I don't think so. Uh, The way I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it indicates the believing dead will be clothed temporarily until the final glorious change at the last trumpet. That those who have died in Christ are experiencing something right now greater than anything the earthly life has to offer. But they won't receive that most magnificent transformation until Christ's return. And so at the last trumpet, resurrected believers will be instantaneously clothed in the Christ-like bodies they've been waiting for. These new bodies have been refashioned by God in the same way that God makes flowers from seeds. And what is it that makes these bodies so glorious? Well, they're sin-free and they're sick-free, fit to live forever. With a mind able to encompass the glory of God, with eyes that will see the beauty of the Savior and the place that he has prepared, ears that will hear the new song of heaven, mouths that will speak only blessing, hearts overflowing with love and joy and peace, and it's forever, forever. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And that's the first promise, the promise that there's a resurrection for those who died in Christ. Well, what about all those believers who haven't yet died when Christ returns? What about them? Well, here's the second promise. There's a reunion with those who died in Christ. Verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Forever. Great promise. Uh, maybe you've heard, what's the best way to get everybody excited about a family reunion? Tell them it's been canceled. Because uh, <laughs> apparently not all family reunions are a lot of fun. But there's nothing negative about this reunion. That sin-free resurrection body makes all the difference in the world. And if you're still alive when Jesus comes back, you will also be changed in the blink of an eye. Our human body deteriorates and ages. This body is not fit for eternity. And so it must be transformed. And your body will be instantaneously changed into an immortal, imperishable body fit for heaven. That body is described very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As fast as you can blink, God changes your body from one that grows old, gets sick, and dies to something glorious and eternal. And suddenly, all these living believers will be lifted off the earth, snatched away. Uh, That's that word, caught up, by the way. In Latin, which that was not what Paul wrote in. Paul wrote in Greek, as I often explain to you. But in Latin, that that word for caught up is raptus. That's where we get that word rapture from. It, It means to seize or to carry off. And so this gathering of the saints is so wonderful because we'll all be seized out of all that weighs us down in this life. We'll be relieved from the evil of this world that burdens our souls, the the pain and the loss that brings tears to our eyes, the sickness and sorrow that forces our bodies to bend beneath the weight of suffering. 
And we'll be snatched away from the, the crippling memories and the heartaches that stagger us and, and the weaknesses that hinder us. And all of these will be thrown off like those sandbags they, they toss from the baskets of hot air balloons. And we will rise to meet the Lord in the air. With dramatic suddenness, our flesh and blood will become eternal, spiritual, perfect, heavenly body. Transformed believers will be caught up with all the saints and with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. Forever. And if you're a believer, I think that's pretty encouraging to know that there's a great reunion day coming. Great reunion day. Now let me point out something. In, in the Greek, there is not an article before the word clouds. It just says, in Greek, it just says in clouds. In clouds. I wondered about that. I, I spoke to great scholar uh, Ralph Kuyper many, many years ago about this. And he said, well, the reason is, it's not a weather analysis, it's a traffic report. <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, this is not a reference to clouds in the sky, this is to the clouds of resurrected believers, a vast swarm of people gathered to meet the Lord. I like that. But regardless, this event described here is a great reunion. And did you notice where that reunion begins? In the air. If you're still alive when Christ returns, the first reunion with your loved ones who have died will be in the air. With resurrected bodies, you will see each other in the prime of life. You will meet again at the zenith of your health and strength and perfection. No missing limbs or broken teeth. No wrinkles or worry lines or water weight. No loss of hair or loss of hearing or loss of eyesight. And you will know each other instantly just as you are known. A week ago Saturday, I was on the pickleball courts, as I am wont to be. And uh, I was between games. And I saw a friend arrive. And I went over to say hi to this friend, and as I did, some lady said, hey. And I looked to see who it was, and it was my wife. <laughs> now, in all fairness, I did not recognize her because she had her hair up. That's all it took. Her hair was up. I didn't know who she was. <laughs> so you say, so John, how is it that we're, if that's throwing us off, what is a perfect body? We're not going to know each other. Yeah. Why would we be dumber in heaven than we are on earth? In fact, not only are you going to know as you are known, you're going to know people you didn't know before. All You're going to have recognition and understanding of all who are brothers and sisters in Christ throughout human history, even if you didn't know them before. And however long that time is in the air, it's only the beginning for all that God has for his people because the end destination is the Father's house. The place Jesus said, I'm going to prepare for you. 2,000 years ago, he left to prepare and that reunion will continue in the Father's house of many rooms. Now, eventually, I'm going to do a series on heaven. And then we'll go into detail about the place God has prepared for us as Scripture defines it. But the most important detail is that we will see our Savior face to face. See, as much as we look forward to seeing loved ones, this will be overshadowed when we come face to face with the risen Savior. The same Jesus we worship will meet us between heaven and earth. Together, we'll be with him, never to be separated again. And that's really the whole definition of heaven, with the Lord. It's the greatest definition there is, with the Lord. Uh, and that becomes even more important when you realize there are likely some people you love who won't be at that reunion. 
because they rejected Jesus. Cliff Rad didn't want that to happen to any of his six grandchildren, so he wrote him a letter. Here's part of what he wrote. My greatest desire for each of my grandchildren is that they would walk with God. After 72 years on this planet, I can testify there's absolutely nothing that can compare with living your life surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make the mistake of thinking that there are other things more important. Another desire is that each of my grandchildren would choose as a marriage partner a person who is a born-again believer. Every week at church, I see numerous people longing for their spouses to come to Christ. Spare yourself this agony by starting out right. I love each of you dearly and pray almost daily for your well-being, but most of all that you would walk with God. Someday when we've all finished our time on earth, I look forward to another of our family reunions with every one of you on hand. I think that's a good letter. I want to encourage you to do whatever you can to go to heaven with the people you love by your side. Maybe you could have a conversation expressing your heart to those closest to you. You might even have a sinking feeling right now about a loved one who's already died without giving any indication of trusting Jesus. You're sad because you have no expectation of seeing them in the presence of God. But let me remind you that this promise of being with the Lord forever is meant to restore your hope. If your trust is in Christ, then your face-to-face reunion with him is your comfort and joy. And that's why the final book of the Bible, Revelation, describes heaven as the place where God will wipe away every tear. How could heaven be a place of joy and peace if we could not stop grieving over those who were not there? When confronted with that grief, it is the Lord himself who comforts us, Revelation 7, 17, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, will dry our tears and carry our sorrows away. And that's why Paul concludes chapter 4, this teaching, by telling us how to apply it. He says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. For any of you who can't imagine a heaven without those you love, Let me assure you that because you are in the presence of the Lord, nothing will interfere with your joy. The risen Jesus will fill your emptiness and satisfy your deepest longings. His grace, mercy, and unending love will be more than enough for you. Be encouraged. Find relief and assurance in this truth. Take comfort in the promised reunion with Jesus and his people. That's what Brian, Megan, and Mark did. Brian, who grieved the death of his father when he was 10 years old, then lost his mother several years later. Her death was sudden and unexpected. He says this, The hurt was different as an adult, yet still the same. My pain and grief have drawn me closer to the Lord and changed the way I look at my life and what I do each day. Uh, Knowing that Christ will come again as he promised and the fact that I'll see my loved ones again are what keep me going many days. In the end, the only thing that will matter is what I've done for him not what I have, a lesson I wish I'd learned much earlier in life. And although Megan says she always believed in heaven, she never fully knew what it meant to go there. She always thought that if she was good enough that that would get her there, but her mom's death forced her to consider what the truth was. And it was her grief that brought her to trust in Christ alone. Megan says, my mom had been saved and now it was my turn and my children's turn. I love God and I'm learning that my life is in his hands, not mine. I thank the Lord for the time I had with my mom. And through mother's death, God opened my eyes to him and I'll be forever grateful for that. I miss my mom more than words can express, but I know she's in heaven and take comfort in knowing that I will be with her again someday. Mark says, 
God's power and strength has changed my life for eternity. The comfort the gospel provides is unlike anything I've ever experienced. It's like when my father was alive and he'd place his hand on my shoulder and the weight of the world seemed to have been lifted. Now I have a heavenly father and an earthly father. Both are enjoying one another's company and are awaiting the day for Christ's coming. And so am I. It's through the promise of Christ's coming and his love that changed my career direction so I can serve others and stop being selfish. I love God. And through his promises, I found comfort in my father's passing. While the wound isn't completely healed, my faith is stronger than I could have ever imagined. So these three people I know, Brian, Megan, and Mark, found comfort in the promise of God. You know, since uh, 1955, the Dover Mortuary at the Dover Air Force Base has been the next to last stop for tens of thousands of Americans, most of whom were killed in service to our country. Robert Bauer was one of the full-time morticians on staff at Dover. And according to Bauer, the hardest part of the job was actually dealing with the anguished loved ones. No matter how horrific the death, he said it was far easier to deal with the autopsy room than with the grief of those left behind. Forty years in the mortuary business taught him that all grief is not created equal. Bauer said this, When a family comes in here with uh, some kind of faith and, and belief in God, they hold up so much better than someone who has nothing to hold on to. I want to ask you this morning, what are you holding on to? What is the foundation of your hope and faith? These promises have been given to encourage you that the day of resurrection and reunion is coming with Jesus. Now, I want to invite you now to stand with me. And we're going to sing. Gary's going to lead us in a closing song. But this is what Jesus promised. Our returning Savior is the one who will heal your heartache, who will soothe your grief and give you hope. And only by transferring all your trust to him can you know the promise of his coming. And for all of you who put your faith in Christ alone, be encouraged and lift your voice, for out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Thanks be to God.